Good morning, Advent Hope. Um, the text of emphasis this morning is found in Matthew 25, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 13 inclusive. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come! Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were there on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. So um, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm glad to see all of you here on this wonderful sunny day. Um, I want to give you a little caveat, as I often do, that the way the sermon um, took on its life last night was a little different as it was informed by a conversation that I had had with a friend earlier in the week. And so today I start with saying that I want you to find assurance in something miraculous and magnificent that is happening to you right now. You see, at this very moment, amidst all the uncertainties of life, of this one thing you can be certain, you are in the right place. I don't know what brought you here Today, perhaps a friend dragged you out of bed and said, let's go to church of the Advent Hope. Maybe you were suffering or maybe you were surfing the web for something specific or simply searching for something, something more, something better. Or maybe it was a still small voice that gently massaged your conscience, your sense of purpose or guilt, value, what is right. Oh, that relentless voice, still and small, yet unyielding with urgent love, full of appreciation for the value of our souls, patient until we just have to give in. The point is, no matter what your world looks like outside these sacred and hallowed walls, which means if you are a victim of pain from poor health, abuse or neglect, if you are self-abusing, a slave to something, anything you know is unhealthy to your mind or body, you are feeling unaccomplished, 
the job or opportunity that you've been waiting for seems always out of reach or not there at all. Maybe the love you longed for and thought had arrived to displace your loneliness has disappointed you or is too painful to be just that. Perhaps what was once love appears to be fading and becoming something distant, strange, unfamiliar. Well, there is hope. Look around you. Yes, go ahead. Look around you. You are in the right place and in good company, surrounded by and in the midst of imperfection. Each of us soiled by sin. Seek in the presence of the perfect one, who, because he is light, can chase your darkness away. Yes, this is a safe place, the right place. How amazing is his grace, Advent Hope. When we imagine that he looked down on his creation, when it was still perfect and unmarred by sin and estimated the impending desperation of its condition, my condition, and yours, deciding it was too great a risk to leave unattended because our precious lives were involved. And so, he in inexhaustible selflessness, in its most perfect form, walked through the corridors of heaven to the door marked exit, paused to look back at the heavenly host, their stoic silence cloaking their sadness and approval. And without hesitation, he stepped through the gateway of heaven, closed the door to perfection behind him, and took that lonely descent down the steps that led to a world, our world, of despair, hurt, and darkness, simply to turn on the light and lift the cloud of gray that now may hover over your world. Advent Hope, please know that behind that cloud lies a son who died for you and is eager for you to allow him to shine through and dispel whatever it is that threatens to kill your joy and rob you of eternal life. Amen? Well, I'm not done yet. My brief talk this morning was inspired by a very, very famous man. He is rich, very, very rich, rotten rich, as they say, and talented. He wields great domestic and international influence with millions of admirers and is, mar and is married to an equally talented, rich and powerful woman. They call the bee, but don't call her the bee because she is not just any bee to her fans who refer to themselves as the beehive. You see, she is the queen bee. If you still don't know who I'm referring to, then maybe I was off with all that talk about your being in the right place. If you do not know who Jay-Z is, or even worse, have never heard of him, you may be considered somewhat irrelevant to a huge and rather important demographic of the world. You don't have to love his music or even know his music. You don't have to embrace his politics, let alone recite his lyrics or love his world outlook. But once you have been introduced to him, 
your respecting him will be an option that is out of your hands. Not only is he one of the most relevant personalities in the music industry, but his influence and name recognition has impacted the social and political topics of our day. So, on September 15, 2017, I was slithering to work on the A-Train, with the Iron Snake making its way to the boogie-down Bronx where I make my living. I tapped the AP News app on my phone for a snapshot of the world before re resuming my daily duties as a street sweeper. <laughs> I read, I read the, that the night before, Jay-Z had performed to yet another sold-out crowd at the Meadow Music and Arts Festival at City Fields in Queens. The article described the density and energy of the crowd with detail. Everyone was caught up in the euphoria of the pulsating rhythms as the master poet mesmerized and hypnotized the crowd with prose and rhymes about relationships, love, politics, and politics. It was said that throughout the 90-minute set, he offered encouraging words. If anybody got a dream, you chase the dream with everything you got, he exclaimed. Kyle, my delivery is still off. But what brought me to this moment was the recitation by the author of an incident that punctuated the performance that has probably long been forgotten by Jay-Z, but certainly not by the other principal in this story. What I would imagine as a very rare occurrence and for many a once-in-a-lifetime happening, during the performance, a fan was eager for, for Jay-Z to sign something. The rapper asked if the fan had a pen. He did not. How am I going to sign your stuff if you don't have a pen? Jay-Z asked. Got to be prepared, he told the fan. Got to be prepared. Father, we commit ourselves to you. I ask that you lose me in your glory. May my words be your words so that your will for us will be known and we will leave here transformed for your kingdom in Jesus name. Amen. Maybe it has something to do with the word foolish. But I don't know anyone who after hearing this parable feels any inclination to align or identify themselves with the foolish virgins. After all, who among us finds any virtue in a fool. Who doesn't love an invitation to a wedding? Whether you want to go or not, that invitation gives you a sense of importance, value. Have ever, any of you ever been to a near-perfect wedding, almost perfect wedding? You're dressed to the hilt, everybody is having a good time, and it's as good as it gets. And then you look across and you see that someone is wearing the exact dress that you have on. Almost perfect. Or you're sitting at the reception table with the most important people that you've met in your life. 
and then suddenly something gets caught in your throat and you can't help yourself from incontrollably cough, wrecking the conversation. Almost perfect. Many of us watched all, if not parts, of the royal wedding last week. Now, notwithstanding my British roots, I honestly have not had much of an interest in the royal family. Um, maybe it's because of a sad memory of my standing on the curb of Coventry Road in Birmingham in the rain, in uniform, while the Queen drove by, gave me her wave, and the teacher shouted in our ear, look excited, look excited. But this one was special on many levels. I would have loved to have gone, gotten an invitation to this wedding. It was as perfect a matrimony as anyone could imagine. Handsome prince, beautiful bride, Oprah and Beckham were intended, so I know my good conversation would be covered. I'm still wondering where Stedman was, and what on earth possessed Idris Alba's fiance to conclude that a sweater was the perfect outfit for a royal wedding. But she's been beaten enough on social media, so we'll, we'll leave that alone. But what a fanfare of beautiful music, fashion, style, and opulence, and a great sermon to boot. It was a truly fairy tale wedding. I'd hazard a guess that the bride and groom did not know everybody personally, let alone intimately. But regardless, everyone who attended was deemed worthy of an invitation. Each came dressed, and while not all for the occasion, they came dressed nonetheless. At this wedding, in Matthew 25, each of the virgins got an invitation. In other translations, they are called the bridesmaids. They knew the groom and he knew them. They had received a personal invitation because they were important to the wedding, but more importantly, important to him. I learned as I planned for our discussion that first-century Jewish weddings were trifurcated, with the third stage involving a celebration to be held at night, as it is in this story. The bridesmaids were expected to line the path of the groom along with the other guests, with lamps held aloft as he arrived and provide light for his entrance into the banquet, light for the groom as well as for all in attendance. He it was considered a major breach of etiquette for anyone in the wedding party not to be by the road ready to meet the bridegroom. The light was necessary to show the way, but more importantly, that all could see the groom. Each of them knew the importance of the light that was needed, but not all valued the preparation that was necessary for the lamp to maintain its glow. All were virgins pure, clean, chaste, untouched, which suggests that they possessed the desirable beauty and admirable features of moral character. Notice, they are not known as the virgins who acted foolishly. No, they are simply foolish, which suggests that this was less of an incident and more of a, dare I say, practice, a trend or trait. They all received an invitation to the wedding, however. Clearly, as we later discover, 
This was an enviable occasion hosted by a very discriminating groom. The virgins, all ten, are indistinguishable. They arrive together beautifully dressed. Each has an invitation. They knew that the wedding would take them into the night, and so each had a lamp. And each lamp, we are told, was burning. They were indistinguishable. The lesson, however, pivots not on the oil, because each of the ten had oil, but the amount of oil each possessed. We are told that the groom was late in arriving to the wedding. But was he? While I know that we have all attended a wedding where the ceremony or festivities didn't quite start when we expected them to, we've all been a part of the guest ad hoc committee, self-designated to complain about how late the parties are in arriving and getting the party started, or how hungry we've been made to become. But at the end of the day, is not the event of the bride is not the event that of the bride and groom? And if so, who are we to really determine when the event is to start? It's not like we're going anywhere else anyway. We've blocked off the entire day for this occasion. After all, we all want to see what the bride is wearing and eat the food, then perhaps critique them and have fun or poke it at their expense if necessary. So, are we really ones to determine when the groom should arrive, or rather just make sure we are prepared for his arrival? The groom does not arrive until midnight, and the virgins become drowsy and fall asleep. And as they sleep, their lamps are burning. A shout announcing the groom's arrival wakes them up. Each of them awakens. Until now, they are indistinguishable until the moment of desperation. If you still haven't arrived at the applicability of this story, let me assist you. We are the virgins, Jesus is the groom. Now, at the risk of entering theological waters, I should share that in my quest to determine where I fit into this story, having all along always identified with the bridesmaids with oil, my research led me to Revelations 2 and 3. These two important chapters describe the warnings given to the elect, the seven churches that will exist in the end of the age of which we are a part. Only one church does not fall asleep. The Philadelphia church that is described in some and substance as the zealous elect who are commended for the faithful keeping of the truth of God and upholding the name of Jesus. Of the elect, they are the only ones who do not fall asleep. And so, if we are to be honest with ourselves, may I suggest that we are the elect who are awaiting Jesus' return with great excitement, zeal, and anticipation. But through the delay, we have become unfocused, apathetic, and have fallen spiritually asleep. So... While the virgin is generally equated with purity and moral character and even perfection, we know that they were far from perfect, which gives us hope in knowing that perfection is overrated and quite frankly unnecessary. 
Now, before you report me to the conference and report me as having preached heresy, give me a chance. I recall a summer while I was in college. A group of us decided to take summer classes and work to make some money painting renovated apartments. I've never, I had never painted in my life. On the first day, we woke up early expecting to be picked up by the contractor we were going to work for. We were surprised but not shocked to see our friend Tracy drive up in a very large, very old, early model car. We looked at each other quizzically before piling into the tank. It wasn't very long before we realized that Tracy had to work very hard to stop the car when necessary, at times frantically pumping the brakes, resorting to avoiding danger when the recommendation was actually to stop, like at a red light. When we inquired about this in fearful earnest, Tracy replied calmly, both hands on the steering wheel in his unmistakable Bermudan accent. Relax, bye. Who needs a brake when you have a steering wheel? We spent every minute of that summer in that car praying with our eyes closed. Now, while I cannot vouch for how many of us were virgins, I can confidently say we were all foolish. My point, who needs perfection when you have Jesus? We judge others and ourselves by this unrealistic standard. In an imperfect world, perfection is simply an unrealistic goal. If your goal is to be perfect, you are setting yourself up for failure because we have all already fallen asleep. It is remarkable how we look for perfection without necessarily giving consideration to the expectation. I submit that there is a distinguishable difference between perfection and righteousness. The difference being the latter is cloaked in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so I encourage you to aim for perfection, Jesus, and be satisfied when we achieve spiritual excellence, knowing that Jesus will take it and make it acceptable to God on our behalf. Our little becomes so much more every time we place it in the master's hands. Those who are spiritually excellent are ready, as were the five virgins who, when awakened by the announcement of the groom's arrival, were equipped with extra oil. Do not be discouraged by your sleepiness, your drowsiness, your imperfections. More important than our slumber is how ready we are when we awake. The Bible encourages us to let light, our light so shine that others may see the work of our lives and glorify our Father in heaven. For his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. David in Psalms 119 declares, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Then continues, I will delight in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. There is no light without oil, no preparation without the words of God hidden deeply in our hearts, no preparation without studying his word and knowing his will, 
While the light is necessary for us to see our path clearly, it is also important for others to see who we are and for whom we hold the light to and for. The quality of our light is dependent on the measure of our oil. Now listen carefully in case you didn't hear it before. The virgins are indistinguishable until the moment of dis desperation. The five foolish, realizing that the flicker in their flame was announcing the shortage of oil, begged the other five to share their portion, but they cannot give more than advice to get what the foolish should have considered a necessary part of their preparation to meet the bride. Go to those who sell oil and get for yourselves because we cannot give of what we have. Among the many lessons that this story offers, and there are so many more than I can cover this morning, is the importance of experiencing God for ourselves. While we can share our experiences and witness of His goodness, each of us has to experience and know Him for ourselves. Neither can we fractionalize and share the Holy Spirit. His prompting to us is to be prepared and is personal. There is no salvation by association. So while we worship as a church, we are saved as individuals. As the foolish virgins run off to buy the, need, the needed oil, the groom arrives, the guests enter, and the groom shuts the door and never opens it again. Verse 10 is a very difficult verse. Even the sympathetic cries of the five foolish virgins will not get the groom to open the door. At some point, I couldn't help but think, come on, groom. It's not like they didn't have any oil at all. Plus, they were virgins, just like the others, upright and moral in character, believers, churchgoers, and doers for good. They were Bible students and stewards just like the other five. You gave them an invitation. Remember, you wanted them to attend. They are Christians, indistinguishable, just like the other five. What's a little extra oil, anyway? While character is very important, good character alone is not a passport for heaven. It will not save anyone because entry into that banquet hall is attained only by grace through faith. It is a gift that only God can give. I want to close with what was one of the important revelations for me as I read this story in preparation for my talk with you this morning. The foolish virgins did not recognize their lack of oil until it was too late. Neither was that deficiency discerned by the five wise virgins during all the time of their waiting together. The wise were not aware of the foolish as the foolish were not aware of the wise. We should never assume the readiness of our friends, neither should we doubt their salvation. None of us would have written this story quite the way Jesus did, because it would risk writing someone dear and close to us out of the kingdom. None of us knows how much oil each of us has in our lamps. But just as the parable does not explain why the groom came as late as he did, because I submit to you, it really doesn't matter. So is it unimportant how much Christian we consider 
the person sitting next to you or in front of you for that matter. Rather, give every believer the benefit of the doubt. Leave judgment to the groom and instead confirm their faith. Encourage them to witness of their relationship to God to others, which will not only strengthen their faith, but also make you more prepared. Our goal is to be ready and make sure that Advent Hope, those we care for and love, and the community which we serve is ready when the groom arrives. So I ask you to make two promises. One, when next you're at a Jay-Z concert, please carry a pen. But more importantly, when the groom arrives, be sure to have extra oil. I close with four words. Got to be prepared.